Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 37. Today I'm speaking with Pete Wilkins, Managing Director at Hyde Park Angels. We discuss the best ways for entrepreneurs to pitch investors, what to expect when raising early stage VC, and much more. Enjoy. Also, a quick programming note, we'll be taking a few weeks off from Techie Bytes, but fear not, We'll be back soon with more awesome interviews, so stay tuned and happy holidays. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Pete Wilkins, Managing Director at Hyde Park Angels, a Chicago-based angel investment firm. They've uh, made 20 investments so far this year. About $11 million or so uh, of, of that capital has been deployed in these investments. Pete, I'm really excited to have you on to kind of get from an investor's point of view. Uh, we've had a lot of founders and, and executives, uh, but it's really great to hear from an investor as well. So welcome to the podcast. Well, I appreciate it. I'm excited. Nice. Uh, so <clears throat> so we talked before, uh, and I, I kind of got, got, got to know you a bit, but I, I'd love for you to kind of just... Give us a sense of who you are, what you do. I like to start off with that question to kind of, you know, give our audience an idea of, you know, what you're doing day to day and and how you got there. Sure. Well, I think that, you know, one of the ways that I describe myself is, you know, I'm a purposeful leader, entrepreneur and investor. Um, and I think that that really is applicable in how we position the firm. Um, we have a belief is that uh, are a, an approach which we refer to as people first, which is the idea is that human capital maximizes financial capital. Um, and the idea is that we have a hundred um, investor members in our organization that we can take their domain expertise. Um, they've started, scaled, sold companies, running companies, and really match that up with entrepreneurs to help them make sure that we got a right fit, that our skill sets match up. And then secondly, post-investment, that we can help them build their companies, um, both from a board perspective, but more importantly, from a network and an expertise perspective. And so that usually works for everyone, is we have capital that comes into the deal, which is always important, but more important is we're leveraging our expertise in a unique way. Um, one of the things that I'll note to kind of give you some scale to that um, is we have 40 portfolio companies right now and we have you know just around 30 folks that actually support those companies so almost a one-to-one -one ratio and given where we play early stage investment that's unique so um bottom end of the day we believe in entrepreneurs we leverage our expertise to help those entrepreneurs and it comes in two forms both financial capital and human capital yeah i always find that very interesting there are, you know i feel like i feel like especially these days there's a lot of money out there but there's but there's also a lot you know it's a lot of it's dumb money right is what they call it where it's it's money that you can raise without the expertise attached to it it's just money from people who are you know, have money they're looking to to invest in in something different right whereas when you can combine expertise and money 
and and, and offer real value and insights to a, to a start a startup company. I feel like that's a lot more powerful. Uh, you know, a, a much better combination, right? I mean, I, I, no doubt. But I think that if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, I think that. You know, if you're taking so-called dumb money, um, dumb money acts dumb sometimes. And so, you know, when you're having an investor invest in a in your company, you're starting a relationship that will many times probably last longer than some marriages. So, you know, I, I think that you get dumb money, you get dumb results. So be careful to all those entrepreneurs out there when they do take it. Definitely. So what kind of companies does uh, Hyde Park Angels invest in? Uh, do you guys run the gamut because you, you have a wide range of, uh, of, 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 of angels who contribute uh, and they have, I guess, various skills, as you mentioned, and, and expertise? Uh, or do you kind of have like a thesis that you go by? Yeah, what, what we do um, to kind of answer the question specifically about 90% of our portfolio companies are tech enabled, um, but we do have a spectrum and our thesis are really built around three core areas, digital media and technology, business and financial services, and consumer products and services. So if we believe that there is a rapidly growing market, that we have a clear point of view that our investment thesis kind of teases out, and that we have the domain expertise, we will invest. So we do invest um, in some actual CPG products um, which is really focusing on an uh, incredible trend out there, wellness and the change taste of consumers and how they consume and where they actually buy. Right. So do you, do you see that uh, wellness you, you just mentioned uh, has been a, a growing trend, especially recently. There's been, a, been a, a number of companies in the space, some of them who have broken down and do, doing really well. One which comes to mind is uh, the uh, Aptiv, which is a company that uh, we actually had their founder on, Ethan Agarol on um on the podcast uh, an earlier episode and he was and he was and he basically was like really into the idea you know of running and but but he but he you know but he wanted something that could help him you know take it to the next level and so he built aptive and it's basically you know coachable workouts uh you know uh that are, that's all audio based though if there's no video component nothing like that it's all it's all in the app via audio. So they and they have sure. these instructors who are doing some really cool things, uh, just audio based. It doesn't seem like it was something that might work, but it works, and they're they're growing like crazy, and they're doing really well. So I'm curious, are there any companies from the wellness uh, uh, kind of uh, pool of companies that that that, that have stood out to you uh, recently? Well, so so I, I completely understand those trends, and I think that you know I'll, I'll say from a macro perspective, I think. Wellness ultimately drives performance, and a lot of times performance is thought of as something that's on a court or on a field. But at the end of the day, we're all kind of uh, purpose athletes or corporate athletes that are really our performance every day is almost like an ultra marathon runner. So, mm -hmm. understanding how do you recharge, how do you prepare, how do you execute becomes really important. And I think it's much broader than a lot of people look at. I think, secondly, I think that. The, the idea of having sensors and having the capacity to actually qualify recovery, re qualify performance, qualify stress, qualify mindfulness, all of those factors are, are driving behaviors that we're getting data that we can actually optimize how we engage on a regular basis. So I'm completely into that personally and really think I 
that overall element is is a macro trend. One of the things, though, kind of swinging it back to wellness and how it applies to Hyde Park Angels portfolio is we've made investments um, in a company or two companies that I'll, I'll talk about, Simple Mills. And Simple Mills is just kind of keeping food simple, making sure that you can read it on the label. And they've become a breakout category leader um, in the uh, baking as well as the cracker market which continues to expand so just giving you good food in a good way um, so that you can enjoy it the second uh, investment that we made is farmers fridge which the idea is making access to quality food very easy so disrupting the casual uh, market fast casual restaurant kind of model bringing that into a fridge that many people will kind of identify with a vending machine, but this idea is that it provides a logistical mastery of getting food from the farm into the kitchen, into the fridge in a way that it tastes great and it's available to you in a fresh fashion every single day. And so we've seen tremendous growth there because ultimately that goes back to the bigger trend Healthy food in your body drives healthy performance, which ultimately drives healthy results. Right. Now, that's first of all that 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 one sounds really interesting to me. I'm gonna have to look that up after after the after the, we record this. Uh, that sounds that's that certainly piqued my curiosity. Um, so we, I mean, I think you you obviously have invested in in, in uh, a lot of different companies. I I believe you you said twenty so far this year. I think you guys have almost done close to a hundred right in deals closed total. Uh, probably the that. total, I would say, um, just netted out probably over our lifespan, probably closer to seventy-five. Okay, okay. So, so point still remains. What, what do you, what do you guys look for when you're, or uh, when you're, when you're looking into uh, potential portfolio companies, and what should entrepreneurs be doing to, you know, have a successful pitch with you? Yeah. Would it be helpful if I provide kind of where we play in the investment cycle and why sure. that matters as they're looking at this? Yeah, I think that would be great. I think that would be great. All right. So if you're an entrepreneur, I think that there's um, something to kind of understand of who plays where um, and how do you effectively pitch them at each stage of your business. And so I think that, you know, at a pre-concept um, or concept, I guess pre-concept would be actually nothing <laughs> so right you it just be the idea maybe actually pre-concept wouldn't even be the idea right <laughs> it wouldn't be that. that's something so if you're a pre-concept don't talk to us for sure <laughs> um but i think that the if you're at the beginning stage so you have an idea and you're starting to put together a business model that you think may work what i would encourage everyone to do is don't even start thinking about raising money go out, find experts in the market, and validate your idea. The first thing that will that will allow you to do is figure out if it's doable. Um, secondly, it will help you build an advisory board of experts that will be really critical in raising money later. Second is then you have to have some sort of MVP product. And so an MVP product is something that says, in general, this provides core functionality to test my thesis. So ultimately, by having a product in market, it starts to give you evidence to understand if it's going to actually work. And so ultimately, you want to do that as cheaply as possible. And if at all possible, you are not needing to raise money. Um, but if you are, 
you're probably going to have to take it out of your own pocket or start to reach out to family and friends. Right. So assuming that you have a product in market and now it's starting to actually show traction that it's working, the most logical kind of folks to go to would be um, a, a actual structured round that might be a note or a save for something simple in friends and family. And that allows to get, you know, where you're going to get enough data in market to be able to show um, an early stage investor like ourselves that has kind of an institutional approach to investing. So this is where it gets a little bit tricky because as friends and family around that I'm talking about sometimes will attract angels. So angels clearly in our name, Hyde Park Angels, but we're more of a, of a institution investor than we are a pure angel. And the difference for those that are out there is that angel investor is investing their own money. Um, a fund is you have a manager investing their investors' money on behalf of them. And we kind of, we're more in that category and kind of how we operate. Mm -hmm. At that stage for an entrepreneur, what they're going to be doing is really being able to show, here's a little bit of the traction and here's what it can be. And that typically gives them enough that they'll be in market between six and 18 months, which when they would come to us, to get to your question is, okay, now you're gonna do an early stage round. And that round, we typically invest in a round that's about 1.5 to 3 million. And at that point in time, what we wanna make sure we understand is number one, what is the problem that you're solving? Two, what is the solution you have to solve that problem? Three, how big of the market is there for your solution and how big could it be if it continues to grow? Four, how do you differentiate yourself in the market and is that defensible? Five, do you have the management team that will be able to at least take it from this concept to the next round of funding? And finally, what does the marketplace look like to provide follow-on funding for your business? So those would be the kind of things that when somebody sits down in front of me or the, our group, um, in a very simple uh, uh, orientation, that would be the things we're looking for. So you definitely have to have answers to those around five points, right? If you don't have, a, if you're missing one of those, that that's not a good that's not a good sign. You need to have, and here's what I think is most important is. It's okay not to have every answer, but you have to have really strong logic about how you're approaching the problem. And so you're gonna have to say, I don't understand this, but the way that I see the market unfolding is this way, and based on us getting into the market, we believe we would be able to pivot in this way. So explaining how you're getting and you're going to navigate the evolution of your product and the logic you're demonstrating to show that you have the um, uh, capacity to think through dynamics of changing business models is ultimately um, what you're looking for if you don't have the answer. So we, you kind of just uh, touched on this next question, but I, I, I want to see if we can dive into it in a little bit more detail. So what absolutely has to be 
it, you know, it, 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 in a pitch, whether it be, let's say, let's break it down into a couple different kinds. Let's say if you're, if, if I, if I walk into an elevator and you're there and I want to pitch you my idea, what's, what do you look for in an elevator pitch? I want to know what the problem you're solving and how big is the market and how you're solving it. Okay. So, and, and ideally that should be 15, 30 seconds max, right? elevator pitch I mean I think what you want to say is that there is a tremendous problem in the in the way that people consume food they do it ineffectively that ultimately they are killing themselves we have a new solution that allows them to live in a more healthy fashion in a way that will transform how they produce um, their overall results both in the office and at home or wherever they go love to tell you more about that does that give you a sense no, that does. That's brilliant, uh, and I think I think that really does uh, give you know uh, everyone a sense in terms of what an elevator pitch should encompass and what it should it shouldn't encompass. Where you don't have to dive down necessarily into your backstory, or um, you know, because that that it doesn't really matter at that point. It's here's what we're building. Here's why we think it's cool. Uh, here's why it's important. You know, I mean, it's here's basically to, to, to kind of it's like there's a zillion people with this problem. We understand the problem and we got a solution to solve it. I'm going to come back and tell you more because I know you invest in companies that reach a zillion people. Right. And I think that's an important part, The because I know you invest in companies that do this, right? That's a super important uh, thing I think you just highlighted, that you have to be able to do your research beforehand. Don't just... Yes, when you're, you know, we've, we've talked to other entrepreneurs about them fundraising and creating like uh, 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 spreadsheets of and, and different tiers of investors that they're looking for. But the whole point is that you're doing your research beforehand. You know what this type of investor uh, is invest, likes to invest in typically. And, 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 and maybe they have, and, and like in your case, maybe they have expertise in that particular space. Um, that, that, that you know that if they invested in, in your company that you could leverage. Um, so I think that's super important to be able to to do that research and to know uh, to know what you, you know you know who you're talking to before you know you kind of just shoot off uh, uh, an elevator pitch to someone or, you, or meeting at a conference or an email or what have you. Well, it goes back to like who do you want to help you? Right. And like if you invite people that don't know how to help you, then you guys are both kind of in the dark. You want to find people that have some understanding of your market. The one other thing, though, is that if they have a, a portfolio company that is a direct competitor to you, they are not a match. Um, keep yes, that that's, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, and that's obviously because of conflict of interest issues that's that, that will arise. Um, in terms of like – so let's say the elevator pitch that we just had went really well. You liked it. You're like – you're. All right, let me, uh, here's my email or whatever. I'll email you and we'll set something up. At that point, uh, you know, you're going in for a meeting with, um, and, and it's like, all right, so what should you have in your pitch deck? What should that look like? And I think it comes down to what we were just were talking about, but I just want to make sure. I got to, I want to yeah. really, uh, I want to really kind of iron this down and like make sure that everyone understands what should, what should be in a pitch deck. So I I kind of uh, <laughs> I kind of answered this question um, in the previous question, and I right. think that you know ultimately, would you like me to repeat that? I'm happy to do it real quickly. Yeah, just give, give us give us the five key points again. Yeah, I Those. think that you want to be able to say, 
here's the problem I'm solving, here's the solution that I'm solving it with, here's how big the market is, and how I'll be able to differentiate in the long term with my product. Mm-hmm. Here's the team that at the bare minimum will be able to get it to the next level of fundraising, and here's what the marketplace looks like in its overall evolution of funding. So giving a sense of the current marketplace and the dynamics of exit, et cetera. The last point is less necessary in your presentation, but you should have a general sense of that because the investor certainly is thinking of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm curious to know, what after all that gets out of the way, you like the company, you like the founding team, you say, I want to invest. What's the first thing you tell the, the founder or the co-founders of the company? Like right off the bat when you're when you're writing that check. I think the first thing we we talk about is this is your vision. We are your partner to fulfill that vision. Let's make sure that we have clarity in how we can establish that and what resources can we leverage to help you do that? Because your success is our success. No, that's a good. I think that's a good point. I feel and I feel like having in, uh, raised money some from from some angels in the past. Uh, that always has seemed to have been the message before. It's all about, especially in the early. I feel like in early stage of investing, especially where it's about the founding team. It's about the vision that they have and and their experience in the space and why they are the ones that can make the difference and it can can make this work. Yeah. No so doubt. yeah. So. So in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of investment vehicles, I want to just talk about this a little bit. From an early stage point, you mentioned notes or safes before. Is there a particular investment vehicle that you, that you prefer at Hyde Park Angels, and that, uh, and why? I think the short answer is. I think we're pretty flexible, um, okay. to be honest with you. I think that you'll get into some dynamics of what vehicle we would prefer um, that really don't matter to entrepreneurs. I think if I was an entrepreneur, the first thing that I would um, do from an early stage perspective is I certainly would start with the safe. If your investors that you're investing would prefer a different vehicle and you feel that that is a appropriate um, route for your business than convertible notes and price rounds work. Once again, I'm putting on my hat where you still don't really have a clear understanding of product market fit. You're really early in this cycle. Right. So there's still a lot of growth for you upstream. Um, the more people that are asking to invest in your company, the more likely you're going to get to choose the vehicle of your preference than if just one person is, which is going to probably be driven by their preference. Mm-hmm. If you, if as an entrepreneur though, um, what do you have any? Do you have any particular thoughts in terms of which vehicles, uh, investment vehicles you you like you would like best from an entrepreneur's perspective, not necessarily from a, an, an angel perspective? Yeah, I mean the 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 most entrepreneurial friendly vehicle without having clearer understanding of your true market value. Yeah, uh, is a safe um, because there is no debt that goes on top of the company. And at this stage of the game, to be honest with you, that doesn't matter that much. I mean, you're starting to split hairs a little bit in all of this. True. Um, and you have to figure it out. But if you're since you're asking for a quick answer, I would start looking at safe. But there's a lot of reasons 
to look at different options. I, this is probably the thing I will help answer this question. You should have a lawyer that has done multiple investment transactions for startups. That is probably the biggest piece of advice because they will provide you what you need to understand, not only from what your vehicle you're using, but more importantly, what terms you should be focusing on. Right, and and, and especially those who those lawyers who have done this countless times also know what's kind of, uh, I don't know, this is a poor way of phrasing it, but trending lately, right? What's, what's, the, what, what's, what's popular? The- <laughs> I think I think more importantly popular, but what's the benchmark in the current landscape? So what what's acceptable terms? Right, They'll be able right. to provide you that. What you don't want to do is you don't want to get somebody that doesn't practice um, in the venture space because it's not applicable. I mean, all law is applicable, just like all business is applicable. But clearly having the nuances of each um, industry and each type of investment class is important. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Um, one of the other things I want to talk about is – yeah, go can ahead. Can I add this though? Because this is a um, great uh, book. Brad Feld um, has uh, a yes. book, Venture Deals. Like you should just read that book. That provides a framework, and I don't know if they've updated one recently, but it is a great book for all entrepreneurs to tackle these topics. I 100% agree. It's a book I own myself. <laughs> it's it's definitely it's definitely worth uh, worth the read, and especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're just getting started, and, you're, and this is this is all foreign and new to you as it was to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, a while ago. Good. So uh, we're, we're aligned then, right? So you know, I'm not just. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Yes, right. <laughs> no, you're right on the money. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about in terms of entrepreneurs raising money early stage uh, is investors who want to be on their board. Now, I know that uh, at, at Hyde Park Angels, you know, you have a, a, a handful, a number of angels who have different domain expertise, and in that case, I don't know if you if you also install them on on boards. Um, but or what how you do it I'd love to learn but what 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 is what should a founder expect from an early kind of stage investor like at like at Hyde Park Angels well I mean I think that you know I'll I'll just kind of frame this up is and I know like I said earlier I think that the way that we operate is just like a fund operates. So there's some comparison to us as an angel compared to a true angel or many angel groups, which I think that may skew what I'm going to say as the expectations will be different. Um, Mm -hmm. So let me put it this way. Um, I think that when you have a fund invest in your company and they are the lead investor, they will want to have a board member on your board and so then that comes back to the construct of what you should be thinking about from an a from a entrepreneur perspective of how much control do you need both at a board level and a shareholder perspective which your lawyer will help you think through so now i'm just looking at it purely from an entrepreneur and working with a board member the one thing i will tell you or board your board is your boss 
And so as soon as technically, if it's an official board, they have um, collectively have the power to manage the direction of the organization. You will be a part of that board, but it changes that dynamic significantly once you have an official board with official responsibilities and authority. What you want is a reasonable person that understands the business, that understands the industry, that has board experience and has proven that they can help you navigate both in good times, which is much easier, and in bad times, which is critical. Now, it's pretty hard to get all of those things to be perfectly aligned early on, but those are the things that you certainly should evaluate the probability that this board member is going to be a value-add board member moving forward. What you don't want for sure is dumb money, having a dumb person on your board because it can create a whole lot of problems. Yeah, it certainly can. One of the things I just would like to add to what you just said, uh, that based on my experience that I've seen and done and, and I found to be helpful, is that even in the early days, um, you know, when you're raising money and, and, you, and, you, and you've raised money, you have some people on a board. Even in the early days, it's important that you have quarterly kind of board meetings and that you and that you you know have some kind of uh, formal formal schedule to it, where where that way. You're you're gonna you want you know you want to have some formalities in that in place because you're gonna have to do it as you grow anyway and you might as well get into the rhythm and it's also just super helpful for the founder to be able especially if the, the people on the board are helpful uh, board members. Yeah, and I think the other thing just I mean you want that cadence um, because you should be evaluating how your business is operating against milestones and you should at least. Um, be able to understand what your key objectives are, what are the key results you're driving to, are your strategies working, are they not working, and present it in a way that you can articulate it um, successfully to not only your board, but also your company, because that shows that you have contr control of your business and you're making decisions on the logic. So it's a great exercise that allows you to do that. The second thing it will do is it will certainly prepare you for the next round of funding. And so you'll be able to show in a consistent fashion of how you manage the business and what that looks like. So that's another reason to do it. Definitely. So let's shift gears slightly. Let's talk a little bit about Hyde Park Angels and how you guys uh, source your deals. And uh, what does your deal flow kind of look like? Like, are, 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 are a lot of founders coming to pitch you or, or, or how, you know what how do you how do you stay out on top of your uh, your your deal, your deal flow we're pretty proactive in trying to find companies in the market that match our investment thesis and our domain expertise so that we bring that value and so you know we have a bunch of market research which I think for our region um, we're second to none. Um, we know all markets in Chicago and have great visibility in the Midwest region. We've intentionally um, drew a line about where we invest. So we don't invest outside the Midwest no matter what. Um, but that allows us to stay concentrated to understand how the marketplace looks. We are probably, I would say the majority of our deals are going to be outbound 
um, because we have a sense of what we're looking for and we have access to our investor member base that we have many relationships. The, the other way that we see activity for those that are on there is we do, we'll be very um, aware of who is in what incubator, who is pitching at what contest, who is making the news with little increments. Like we scan through that and as an entrepreneur, if you're able to effectively communicate or participate or get selected into any of those, you immediately start to be able to be elevated against other entrepreneurs because we see how you're operating through some of those cycles. Um, the other way that we also source is we have community and investment partners that will surface companies that they think meet our profile. And so many times that's how we get those connections. Um, fortunately, and it's certainly working with me, I, I run the overall group. So it is um, ineffective to do cold outreach. You know, ultimately with the um, ability to effectively figure out a connection point um, into any organization, my two cents is if you can't figure out how to get to our organization in some way, um, besides a cold email, that the likelihood you're going to be able to navigate the logic of a deal um, and the company is probably low. And so that might be really stereotypical, but you know, at the end of the day, a cold email against my 3,000 emails that I get a day, it's really hard to sort through to be able to see the value that's being created. So hopefully that was uh, a good answer to your question. No, that was, and I, I, th I think that, you know, you know, I think it. I think with regard to the cold email thing, um, it certainly, it certainly, you know, it certainly can be tough for entrepreneurs uh, to hear that. But I think, I think it's, I think it's important that they do, right? I think that, especially, you know, based on my experience and having met with a, a number of founders and other entrepreneurs and, and things like that, it's just there's always a way if if you if if uh, that you can make it work. And, and get find a connection, find someone who knows someone. LinkedIn's a wonderful tool to be able to kind of network that and see and see who knows who. And also, you know, one of the things we talked about uh, on a on a on a, on a uh, different podcast with Stacy Ferreira, uh, who's a who's a startup founder, who's uh, actually two time startup founder. She's now doing something a uh, company called Forge, um, and. She was talking about like you want to when you're when you're reaching out to a, a contact who knows someone that you want an intro to. You got to make it as easy as possible for them to make that intro, and and also make it so that way you know that they're comfortable doing it. So like pre-write the email that that they can send on your behalf. Uh, do everything you can do to make it just to make that process as smooth and seamless and painless as possible for the person who wants to make that uh who you want to make that intro for you at least i found that to to work well uh, for me i i i assume you might have similar experience yeah you so that's a great advice you got to do it you got to make sure you can communicate effectively and make it easy for people to help you and they're happy to do it most of the time and so the other thing i'll just add like just think about it like if you can't like how many like if you're looking at somebody who's running their business and they think wow it's really unfair that nobody reads my cold email. Just think when they're trying to sell a bunch of customers that they have to fight through 
in a unique way to actually get on the market like because there's a ton of other like products in the market or there's a lot of other obligations that the person you're trying to reach is managing like it is kind of a good litmus test if you can effectively create value in the way that you're trying to raise money you got to do a little check how effective you're going to be able to drive your business clearly this is in a b2b model but you know, I think that your point is right on, and I think that if, if if you're an entrepreneur and you think it's unfair that a cold email doesn't work, then you probably should think about whether you're going to be a good entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Last question before we get to the lightning round. I want to talk a little bit about um, Hyde Park Angel's success here, and also just in in, in Chicago, in the Midwest and Chicago area. It seems, according to an article that I saw you recently uh, published on VentureBeat. Chicago startups are providing higher multiples on, on investments than startups in other cities. Talk to us a little bit about that and, 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 and why you think that is. Well, I think that the, the fundamental um, driver of that is I think that it's a multiple on investment. And what ultimately is, is that the venture market is pricing um, the opportunities at a fair price given the overall supply and demand of the marketplace. I think that it's fair for the entrepreneur because um, it allows them to successfully have follow-on rounds which ultimately start to drive up the multiple on the capital that has been invested. The other thing is it the cost to operate in the Midwest is lower than many of the core entrepreneurial ecosystems that are out there and so you can go further with less money and I think the final component too is that the fund for talent um, is much different both in the loyalty that employees have to brands their desire to switch and the overall um, ability to switch as well um, has an impact on your ability not to have a lot of high turnover type of engineers or so forth that are critical to your business. So those are some of the kind of the core components that I think drive the fact that we are able to produce strong multiples on our investment. Cool. Well, Pete, we made it through a, the, the, the majority, the main part of this podcast episode. And uh, right. it's, it's now time for the lightning round, which of course supported by Wix. You can create a professional website today at wix.com. That's wix.com. So Pete, whenever you're ready, you let me know and we'll get started. All right. And I'll tell you something too. I did not even look at these lightning round questions. Oh, um, I, that, that, I actually, I don't, I don't send them. So that's probably oh. why you didn't look at them. Oh, perfect. <laughs> All right. Good. So, that's so even the, better. Well, I'm ready. Exactly. Let's light it up. All right. Here we go. If you could time travel, where would you go? The future. Cool. I like that answer. The future is always good, unless, 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 of course, there's a major climate change, and maybe the future won't be as great. <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't. I don't know. Why I had to make it so dark. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry. I don't, there'll be at some point. I'll be dead for sure in the future. So that's a bad scenario. <laughs> if animals could talk, which one would be the most annoying? Rats. Which one? Rats. Rats. Okay. Uh, what word do you always misspell? Many. Um, Mississippi. That's a good one. 
I try and remember like that song from elementary school when I do that. I, I, uh-huh. I, I feel like one word. This is embarrassing. I'm going to share this though. One word that I always misspell, though I've gotten a lot better recently because I've just I've typed it so many times. Entrepreneur. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a weird one. The end. Yep. The end mostly. Um, book or ebook. Ebook. Nice. Me too. I I love reading on my iPad. Just prefer to a book. And I would probably go audio book, then I'll many times maybe get the ebook to help me collect my um, notes, but it would probably be audio book, ebook, book. Cool, nice. Uh, all right, last one, you ready? Totally. All right, current number of unanswered emails in your inbox? 78. <laughs> That's actually a little bit better than I anticipated. That's a, but, you know, still still quite a few. <laughs> yeah, well, I was I have been so behind. I needed to clean out which so I'm like well behind any type of where I need to be, but that I am like I'm You're above not water at around 78. <laughs> You're not alone. I feel like I and just I'll throw this out there like so so every time we've emailed back and forth, I feel like you normally will reply at like seven in the morning my time, which is like must be I think it's like six your time. So you're up early on you know emailing, <laughs> which is yeah. uh, which which I guess shows I guess a little bit how behind you are. But well, you're I, not alone. I think what <laughs> I got I got I have a philosophy though is you got to bucket them because if you're focusing all your time to respond to people, you're not responding to what's important to you. And so you got to create, you know, clear intention on what you need to get done, and then you bucket your response. So I will bucket responses to where I where the time is good. Um, so That's that good is a, a little tip. Nice, good tip. All right, so Pete, uh, really appreciate you have being on the podcast. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way to get in touch with me is probably to follow me on LinkedIn. Cool. All right. So that's uh, Pete Wilkins, everyone. Pete, really a pleasure to have you on. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you have a a good rest of your day. Yeah, I appreciate it. And to all you entrepreneurs out there, keep the good fight, man. It's uh, tip of the hat to everybody that's focusing on living their dreams. So congratulations to you, and good luck. Amen to that. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.